You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Ezra Sashem, we're going to be continuing our series of Shiram on the world of Ishbitz and Radzin. And we're going to be picking up from the introduction, and we're going to be discussing a concept that I've titled, and it's based literally on the explication of a statement in Chazal and Mesachas Erevin, Dafyud Gimel Amad Aleph, as it would have been easier not to have been born, easier but not better. Now, before we enter into the sugya, I want to contextualize a little bit about what we're going to be studying tonight. Now, as we're going to try and show, very similar to other trends in Hasidic thought, as well as misnagdik Kabbalah, based on the students of the, of the Vilna Gon and other students, what we're going to see is that there's a continuity in the series of teachings in the world of Ishbitz and Radzin that something is either implied explicitly or implicitly within the writings of the Meishiloach, of Mordechai Yosef of Ishbitz. And then in the writings of the Beis Yaakov, we're going to see iterations, albeit in a softer, almost calmer type of way, like we discussed last week regarding the Beis Yaakov's role that he played in the formation of the Ishbitz Radzin tradition. And then we're going to find those themes picked up in a much stronger and more intensified way in the writings of the grandchild of the Meshiloach, Rav Gershon Henech Liner of Radzin. And although Rav Gershon Henech was really the architect of both the Beis Yaakov's writings as well as the Meshiloach's writings, we're going to see that it was either his own personal avoda to try and tease out the germ cell of his ideas and explicate the teachings of his grandfather and his father, or that that was quite literally a textual, a textual precedent to the teachings that the Sod Yasharim was going to be spending much more time writing. Now, when it comes to this teaching of, it would have been easier for a person not to have been born, easier but not better, what we find is that the Meishi Loach doesn't explicitly discuss this idea. There's no statement in the first two volumes of Meishi Loach. The first one was published through the hands of Rav Gershon Henech Liner of Redzin, the grandson. And the second one was published almost 75 years later or more, I believe. Neither of these volumes contain a treatment of this idea based on the Gemara and Maseches Erevin. Now there is something appended to the back of the Meishor edition of the second volume of Meishiloach referred to as Lekute Meishiloach, the collected teachings of the Meishiloach. What that section of the Sefer is, is actually a collection of the times where Rav Tzadok HaKohen Lublin writes Shamati, I heard in the name of my teacher, which traditionally speaking, we assume to be the teachings of the Meishiloach himself. So one of the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren compiled all of these places in the writings of Rav Tzadok and in the very few writings of Rav Leibola Eger, and they compiled and drew out the teachings of the Meishiloach and they compiled them in a small country called Lekute Meishiloach, the collected teachings of the Meishiloach. Now, in the collected teachings of the Meishiloach, there is a teaching applied to the Meishiloach based on this Gemara. But for all intents and purposes, we can assume that this teaching is something that came directly from the Meishiloach, directly from the forefounder of the Ishbitz Radzin school, in spite of the fact that there's no textual explication of this until really the second generation and the third generation. Now, when it comes to this idea in the teachings of the Beis Yaakov of Ishbitz and Radzin, we find really less of an emphasis on this teaching. If a person wants to see it, we can look in Parshas Toldos, Os Dalid, on Parshas Toldos in the writings of the Beis Yaakov, speaks about this Gemara, speaks about this concept of Noyach Loy Adam Shalom Nivra, Yoter Misha Nivra. 
it would have been easier for an individual to have not been born, much easier than being born. And the treatment that Ishbitz and Radzin apply to this difficult, philosophically and theologically and existentially difficult statement of Chazal, the Beis Yaakov has an introductory statement about understanding this properly, but it's really only in the Sod Yisharim, only in the third generation, in the writings of the grandson, Rav Gershon Hanachaliner of Radzin, that we see a full explication of this idea to the point that it becomes a foundation stone in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin. And for me, the thread that I would like to tease out out of the multifarious writings that comprise the library of Ishbitz and Radzin, this is a particular sugya which I have not seen discussed anywhere else other than the internal tradition of Ishbitz and Radzin, and in my humble opinion, is a fundamental cornerstone in explaining and understanding the religious phenomenological experience of what it means to be a servant of God through the lens, through the you of the world of Ishbitz and Radzin. Now, the two places that we're going to be, three places rather, that we're going to be working on in the writings of the Sod Yesharim are going to be the Sod Yesharim Al-Hamoadim, which is a two-volume set. And the first set, the first edition, is going to contain the teachings on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Chag HaSukkot. So it happens to be that two of the main places where this idea is explicated for our purposes are going to be in the same volume. In the 28th teaching on Rosh Hashanah, Rav Gershon Henech discusses this Gemara and expands upon it. And what I found last night, based on a footnote that referred me to a footnote, which eventually allowed me to find Masha Ahavas Nafshi, what my soul has been seeking, is a deeper explication and interpretation of the idea expressed in the 28th teaching of Rosh Hashanah in the 9th teaching of Hoshana Rabbah. And then the final generation, which we're not going to be discussing too much, which was Rav Mordechai Yosef Elazar, the Teferis Yosef, who's known as the centering agent, the fourth generation, the son of Rav Gershon Hanach Liner of Redzin, he discussed this idea in about 10 or so places, lending credence to the idea that this idea of understanding the Gemara in Erevin, Daf Yud Gimel Aleph, that discusses that it would have been easier for a human being not to be born, is not simply a secondary teaching in the tradition of Ishbitz and Radzin, but rather it forms a foundational point that grounds our entire approach to Avodah Hashem and a willingness to confront what reality is through the you or the lens of Ishbitz and Radzin. Now, with that introduction, we're going to delve into the teaching itself. Now, Chazal in Mesechus Erevin, Daf Yud Gimel Amen Aleph, have a very interesting conversation. They state that for for three and a half years, there was an argument between the schools of Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel as to whether it was easy for an individual to be born, was it easier for a person to have been created or would have been easier for an individual not have to been created? On a certain level, what that means, according to modern sensibilities, is an incredibly deep question, which descends to the depths of our experience, meaning to say, the sum total of our lives in this worldliness, is it going to be something that makes life easier for us, that allows us to gain something out of the world, that leads to an end result that is greater than that which preceded it, or is it an exercise in abject futility and the experience of being alive and living in this world and the entirety of history from the beginning of creation to the end of days, is it simply a failed experiment that has led to more suffering than positivity? Now, the fact that this machlokas took place between the schools of Beishameh and Beis Hillel should awaken within us the deep sense that this is a fundamental question because not only are Beishamah and Beis Hillel two fundamental schools in the development of Jewish thought through the written law as well as the oral codification of the law, but Beishamah and Beis Hillel, according to the teachers of Kabbalah and Hasidus and Machshava, represent two aspects of the human being. The Beis Hillel within the individual is that approach to life that says life is meaningful and life is positive and it's our job to judge things favorably and to find grace within the world 
and to choose an affirmative vision when we embark upon trying to contemplate the reality of existence. And the Beishamai in the individual, the left side, the Gevura of the individual, looks at the world and they see the reality, the stark reality of brokenness and fallenness, and they choose to see the world through a severe lens, through a gaze that looks at things in their realistic sense and says, how broken are these things? Now, each of us have within us a Beishamai and a Beishilah, like we discussed in the Shiram on addiction. The Beishilah in us wants to see positivity, wants to affirm things. The Beishamai in us wants to be honest and it wants to say, no, things as they are are broken. So this machlokas, this argument that's brought down in Mesechus Erevin, Daf Yud Gimel Amin Aleph, really speaks to an argument that's taking place within the recesses of an individual. Rav Yitzchak Yam speaks about this as well in interpreting the Agadah of this Gemara. And the way we have to understand this question is that within the individual themselves, when we actually take the time to contemplate and to pay attention to, and most importantly, to reflect on our station in this world, what it means to be a human being who lives within reality. There's a very tief and severe question that a person confronts in moments of vulnerable honesty, which is, is this all worth it? At the end of the day, is it easier that I was born and that I can serve God and experience things in this world? Or perhaps, do I lose out on being alive? Are there aspects of my spirituality that I lose by finding myself in this world? Does the gain outweigh the loss or does the loss outweigh the gain? And that's the question that Chazal are asking. And the Lashon of Chazal, the psychology of Chazal, that psychoanalytic decision of Chazal is a painful one because Nimnu Vagamru, the Gemara says, it was discussed and it was decided that it would have been easier for an individual to have not been born than to be born. Meaning to say that when we let go of the speculative, abstract, philosophical, spiritualized notions that we apply to existence, and we experience existence in its bare thisness, what a person confronts is the basic reality, the abject sense, that yes, it would have been easier had we not been born. That this world, in most aspects, is a world of difficulty, is a world of struggle, is a world of concealment, which the Ishbitzer Tzadikim speak about, is a world of sveikos, of doubt, and not knowing, and confusion, which the Ishbitzer and Radzin Tzadikim speak about as well. It's a world of savlanut, which we discussed last week. It's a world of carrying a burden, holding on to baggage that weighs us down. Memories of past losses, failed dreams, issues that we feel internally as well as externally that weigh on us and create a certain ethos of burdensome walking slowly in this world. And that if a person truly analyzes whether it was better or not to be born, the conclusion of Chazal is that it would have been better, not, it would have been easier not to be born. And the Ishbitzer Tzadikim start off from this perspective in order to prepare for us a fertile ground where we can find HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. Because as we said last week, one of the unique chidushim, or it might not be properly referred to as a chidush, because in truth, Ishbitz and Radzin can find themselves in the direct process of the historical expression of Sisrei Torah, of the inner interiority of Torah, and that there's nothing found within the writings of the Ishbitzer or the Radziner Tzadikim that can't be found within the writings of the Tamidim of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, that can't be found almost within the writings of the Gra and his students, especially when you analyze the writings of Menachem Mendel Mishklov, properly, and all the more so that can't be found within the writings of the Arizal and the Zohar Kadush. And so it's not so much a novelty or a chiddush, but rather an emphasis. And what Ishbitz and Radzin finds within the statement of Chazal, finds within this difficult statement, which says that it would have been easier that we were not born, Ishbitz and Radzin sees here a starting point 
to develop and cultivate a spiritual, philosophical, theological theme which takes for granted as its starting point that this world is a place of difficulty and suffering. In contradistinction to other streams of thought, which see this worldliness or this plane of existence as an opportunity to cultivate joy or simcha or unabashed happiness in the face of God's presence in the world, or which question our stupidity or our foolishness in not seeing the abundantly clear presence of God in the world, which very often leads to a doubled shame within the religious subject, because not only do we not find the explicit expression of godliness in the world, but furthermore, we're made to feel broken about it as if there was something wrong with us. Ishbitz and Radzin flips it on its head. And they base their theological process on the basic assumption that it's more natural to doubt the validity of this world than it is to find affirmations in it. That it's easier to look at the suffering in this world and the brokenness of this world than it is to find the positivity in this world and the kindness and the loving grace of God in this world. And so starting off from this point of it would have been easier not to have been born is basically saying that when we take existence as it is in front of us on a daily basis, our starting point, the basic ontological and phenomenological explicit outlook that human beings find themselves with is that this world is a place of concealment and hiddenness and doubt and confusion and combinations which prevent me from seeing what is what. And it's my job to operate from within this fallen plane where in truth it would have been easier for me not to have been born in. And I believe, like we said last week, this is the role that Ishbitz and Radzin came to play in the world in terms of the explication of Torah Sachasidus, as well as Panimia Satorah and the preparation for the eschatological time where everything is revealed. That it's specifically from the bottom point, from the Malchus, from the blinded world, which appears to be blind to the justice of the world where things appear to be abundantly unfair in all aspects, both internally, externally, as well as ontologically. And it's specifically the school of Ishbitz and Radzin, which comes to say, it's specifically here, specifically in this playing field, which seems to have been easier not to been born. It's specifically in this place of existence where it's reasonable for Chazal and all the more so for us in 2019 to say, why did you create me? Why did you put me through this process, God? What benefit will I come out with after moving through all of these difficulties and struggles? And Levio de Amaris Nafsho. Each individual knows the struggle of their own heart. Ishbitz and Radzin came to answer and say, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the pain, in spite of the brokenness, there is still a purpose to being alive. There is still a purpose to being born into this world and that we can draw out of this world a potent light of spirituality and unity that without the difficulties of this world would not have been accessible to us. Now, for the sake of trying to stick to a text, we're actually going to try and read from the writings of the Sod Yasharim, who again, in my opinion, is expressing not only the opinions of his grandfather, the Meshiloach, but is explicitly drawing upon the teachings of his father, the Beis Yaakov. And not only that, but is already playing on thematic themes that emerge out of the Zohar HaKadosh and are explicit in the writings of the Arizal, based on the concept of the Tzimtzum, on the originary constriction of godliness in this world, as well as the Shvirat HaKelem, this constitutive trauma that gives birth to existence. And the Sayyid Yasharim is coming to answer up the difficult question of what is the purpose of being alive in a world where things appear to be more difficult for us, where the confusion outweighs the clarity, where the pain outweighs the pleasure, where the darkness outweighs the light, where the inner combustion of emotions and overwhelmingness outweighs the yishavadas, the settled mindedness that it demands for us to function in this world, what is the purpose? And the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin find an incredible diuk 
find an incredible textual emendation to this text in order to open us up to their vista or their perception of what it means to be a servant of God, or really in a more general sense to be a human being in this world. The tzaddikim of Ishbit, starting with the Beis Yaakov, and then explicitly in the writings of the Sod Yisharim and his son, the Tiferes Yosef, write as follows. If we want to take Chazal at first glance, if we want to assume that Chazal have announced this ontological statement that it would have been easier not to be born than to be born, why didn't they say, Why does the Lashon of Chazal say, Why is the statement in the Gemara that would have been easier? Why not just go all out and claim that it would have been better for the individual not to have been born? And the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin in unison announce that by Chazal choosing the language of Noach, of it would have been easier not to be born, instead of using the language of Mutav, it would have been better not to be born, Ishbitz and Radzin tzaddikim find within this statement implicitly and explicitly within the inner tradition that Chazal were making a very delicate statement. Yes, it would have been easier not to be born. Yes, it would have been easier had our souls not been forced to undergo this deep depression wherein we fall from the spiritual heights of godly presence into the destitution of ulamta de shapirta de lespa enen, into a world that is devoid of vision and justice. Yes, it would have been easier. Yes, it would have been a smoother process to find the godly presence in the world but it would not have been better. Had Chazal wanted to tell us that it would have been better not to be born, then Chazal would have said in Masech HaSerevin, Mutav lo la It is better for a person not to be born than for a person to be born. But the Ishbetzer Tzadikim point out that it doesn't say Mutav, it says Noach. It would have been easier. And the idea that is drawn out and teased out of this rabbinic interpretation is that while on the one hand it would have been easier for us to not have been born, we would not have been forced to go through the struggle of confronting a world that appears to be so devoid of justice, of engaging in the day-to-day existence wherein God's presence seemed to me more occluded and concealed than revealed and present in my life. It would have been easier to go through a world where pain was not present, where suffering was absent. Nevertheless, in spite of the difficulties that emerge out of this worldly reality, Chazal are making an implicit ontological statement which says, in spite of the fact that it would have been easier not to have been born, nevertheless, it is better that we were born than not being born. Because if Chazal wanted to say that it would have been better not to be born, they would have said it. And by dint of them not saying it, the fact of the subtraction of their statement and saying it would have been better not to be born, Chazal are affirming for us. And without the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin, we would have no access to this inference. But Chazal are affirming for us implicitly that in spite of the difficulties, it is still nonetheless better to be created than to not be created. And what we're going to discuss from here on out is why that is. Why is it that it would have been better to be created? What is it that stands for us to gain in this world? In spite of all the difficulties, in spite of all the concealment and the sveikos, and the fact that when a person looks at this worldly existence from a reflective position of this worldliness, the pain far outweighs the pleasure, and the darkness far outweighs the light. So what is it? What is that affirmative kernel of saying yes to the world? of saying that in spite of the difficulty, it is better that I was created. What is it that emerges out of our existence that makes it better to be created than to not be created? And with that, we're going to look at the writings of the Sod Yisharim in the 28th piece on Rosh Hashanah. And what the Sod Yisharim bases himself on is a remarkable statement in the Zohar HaKadosh in the third volume of Shlach Davkuf Samach Tes. And the Zohar HaKadosh states as follows. Tachazi. Come and see. In the Zohar HaKadosh, it doesn't say Tashma like in Talmud Bavli. 
It says, Tachazi, come and experience. Come and understand this experience intuitively. It's not enough for you to hear this intellectually like a Talmudic statement, but in order to understand the truth of the Zohar, it's important that we reflect on a deeper, more internal, primordial experience of Tachazi. Come and see, come and experience, come and taste what this feels like. And this is true throughout the Zohar because the Zohar, more so than the Talmud Bavli, is willing to look at the brokenness of this world, is willing to assert the fact that most of this world is negative. Chazal already are playing around with philosophical notions of theodicy where we try and find the good within the bad. The Zohar HaKadosh, as Raforman Sfusei spoke so much about, takes for granted that this world is a difficult place. The Zohar HaKadosh states as follows, Tachazi, there are three voices that emerge out of existence that will not be lost forever. Now, the Sodi Sharim in his teachings on Hashan Rabbah has a remarkable interpretation of what it means that these voices will not be lost forever. At first glance, we think that these are voices that endure. These are powerful voices that endure. But the Sodi Sharim says that the reason these voices are not lost forever is because they appear to be unanswered. Typically speaking, when a person cries out in prayer, the hope is that that cry will dissipate in the face of the answer to that prayer. That emerging from the lack within myself, which is the birthplace of all prayer, I hope to find an abundance or a fullness that settles that lack and quiets down that existential cry that emerges out of the recesses of my unconscious soul. But the Zohar HaKadosh says that there are three cries that will not be lost forever. And the Sodi Sharm, instead of seeing this as a statement about the endurance of these voices, sees it almost in its bare reality. He says that the reason that these voices will not be lost forever is because they appear at first glance to be unanswered and that we have not been given enough of a reason to stop screaming out. Almost to say that these kolos, these voices that emerge out of the abyss, like the Sodi Sharm says explicitly in the ninth teaching on Oshana Rabbah, the reason that they endure is not because of their veracity or their significance, but rather because of their unanswered nature, that we continuously cry out both consciously and unconsciously, as Rav Kook Schlusser and Elenu speaks about in his introduction to the Siddur and Olus Raya, that there's a tefillah temidis shel haneshama. There's a perpetual and enduring, unending prayer of the soul, which is predicated on the lack of the soul, on the fact that I don't have what I want. And because I have not gotten what I want, that cry continues. And these three cries that emerge out of the belly of being, out of each and every subject in their unconscious form and in the world at large in its unconscious form are three different claims. One cry, says the Zohar HaKadosh, is the cry of the mother who is giving birth on the birthing bed. This cry does not end. It's an unending cry. The Sod Yisharim and the Meshidoch and the Beis Yaakov interpret this cry of the mother on the birthing bed as the voice, as the cry that emerges, as the soul begins to understand that it must descend out of the supernal unity of existence prior to the diminution and the fallenness of this world. And it's the soul's claim that says, why on earth would I go down there? Why in the world would I want to remove myself from the supernal unity that I experienced prior to my descent in, into an embodied subjectivity? Why not let me remain in that primordial oneness where God is clear? And this cry that emerges from the soul is the pain that we experience in every moment of this world. Every time that the presence of God is occluded by the concealment of godliness, what our soul is doing is it's crying out, why did I descend into this world? That is the cry of the mother on her birthing bed that does not end because it's a prayer that's unanswered. We all abide with our own individual sense of questioning of Hashem, why did you send me down here? What am I going to gain out of this world? What am I going to gain 
in my removal from supernal clarity and being thrown into doubt and concealment. The second voice that doesn't end according to the Zohar is the voice of the individual who stands at the ready to pass away. On the brink of death, and for a human being, what it means to live on the brink of death is not simply at the moment before our death, but rather the moment that we're born, we're already aware of our impending doom. That as human beings, we are unique in the cosmos in the sense that we live with an abiding sense of a death awareness. That all of our philosophical speculation, all of our attempts to codify the world and arrange the world and find comfort in a world are reactions to the bare truth that human beings are mortal. That as I exist right now in this present moment is not forever. And that things end and things fall apart. And this question of death awareness, this question of the human being enduring in a world while at the same moment being abundantly aware of the fact that this will not last forever, this gives birth to the second cry that doesn't end. The second prayer that appears to be go unanswered, which is, how can it be that I come into this world as a pure soul, unencumbered and unsullied by the dirtiness and the confusion of this worldly experience and all of its abject forms? And again, Levi Deris Maris Nafsho, how could it be that I can emerge out of this world with the same purity and simplicity that I entered it into? How could it be that I'm not going to lose anything in this world? How could it be that my subjectivity is not going to undergo a significant failure in encountering what it means to be a human being in this world. At every moment, there's more bad news than the next. When a person looks at the historical picture, and this is something we discussed in the Shirim on the Leshem as well as in Rav Kook, what a person first and foremost sees the suffering and the brokenness and the negativity. So how could it be that when I contemplate the question of my impending mortality, how could it be that I'm not going to lose out? That's the second voice that doesn't get answered. And the third voice that doesn't get answered, according to the Zohar, is the voice of the Nachash, the cry of the snake as it sheds its skin, the cry of the forces of this worldliness, of nature in its bare and broken state, which is representative of the Nachash, of all the seductive tendencies of living in a world that appears to be devoid of divine governance. These cries, and according to Chazal and according to various statements, and the Sodi Sharm quotes the Targum Yonasan on this, the pseudo parish of Targum Yonasan, which states that the snake sheds its skin every seven years. And seven years is representative, according to the Maharal and according to the teachings that the Meshiloach would have picked up in the school of Kotsk, in the school of Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, in the school of the Yid HaKadosh, who chose to focus much more on the non-mystical writings, non-mystical and scare quotes, because as Rav Putner has already shown us, that the Maharal is not non-mystical, non-Kabbalistic, but rather is trying to convey the secrets of Kabbalah in a Lashon of Nigla, in a philosophical language. But nevertheless, the idea of seven, which the Meshilach would have picked up in his base medrash in the writings of the Maharal, is representative of all natural movements. Seven is representative of a hekef shalim, a full picture of something from beginning to end. And this cry of the Nachash that sheds its skin every seven years is the basic awareness that when I look at the fullness in the world, it appears to be lacking. There's more pain than joy. Things are broken, things are sullied, things are not working. The end has been pushed off indefinitely. And the hopes that we abide with in our personal lives as well as our collective lives seem to fail. And we live in the shadow of the shoulds that we should be accomplishing and we live stuck in that basic sense that we are not accomplishing what we need to. These three cries that are loy ispasik, that don't end according to the Zohar, according to the teachings of Ishbitz and Radzin, these are three cries that emerge that are unanswered. And on this statement, on the Zohar, the Sodi Sharm continues, and he says as follows. And the idea is as follows. When the light of godliness, when the light of ideality, when the light of things and their purity begin to descend and congeal 
in the garments. And garments are something we're going to speak about at length in Ishbitz and Radzin, because garments represent those things that both at once conceal as well as reveal. Necessary blockages, necessary mechitzots or separation, which allow us to confirm and identify with a light that survives through it, that as the soul begins to emerge into these levushim of this worldliness, this light undergoes a great scream. It yells. It's terrified. And so too is the scream that emerges as anything new is born into the world. As any neshama is forced to emerge into an embodied state of this worldliness. Because when the soul begins to descend from its lofty place, El Haguf Hagashmi, into embodied lower reality, which is not simply representative of embodiment and the restrictions of the body, the body plays a significant role in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin. But what's more significant is the psychological effect of being in a body. The fact that there is limitation and darkness and doubt and failure and loss and, and dreams that are unanswered and pain and suffering and all of the things and the vicissitudes that we go through on a day-to-day -day level, that this is what causes the soul to scream and to cry out. As A great strong cry emerges, a scream emerges out of the soul. Because it's not easy for me to enter into a world of the tree of doubt, something that our next week's year is going to be based on. I am now entering into a world where things are less clear than they were beforehand. Like Chazal have told us in Maseches Erevin, It would have been easier for a person to not be born than to be born. V'dayik avi moiri hagoin hakadosh or Avi Avi Mairi, the my grandfather, the Meishi Loach, was Medayik, he inferenced in this Gemara, Lama lo amruzal tov lo la'adam? Why didn't Chazal say that it would have been better for an individual to have not been born? Why did they say it would have been easier? Elanoyach lo, rather it states it would have been easier, Mashma mizeh shebe'emes tov lo yoter la'adam shenivra implied in the statement of Chazal is that in truth it is better for the individual to have been born than not to be born, in spite of the fact that it would have been easier not to be born. Because if the divine will of a Kaddish Baruch Hu was for the soul of the individual to find itself confined in this worldliness with all of its vicissitudes, it's abundantly clear if Hashem created us, that there's a purpose for being created. Now this tautological logic sits at the core of Ishbitz and Radzin. Like we said last week, Ishbitz and Radzin start off from the basic reality that we exist. We start off from the perspective of Malchus. We start from the bottom. And from the bottom, from our embodied state in all of its brokenness and fallenness, what we find is that we exist. And what we find is that we doubt. And what we find is that we question. And what we find is that we struggle. And what we find is that we're hidden and concealed. And for Ishbitz and Radzin, the mere fact that something is true in reality was enough of a reason to be forced to understand the spiritual purpose of it. Unlike other schools of Hasidic thought or philosophical outlook or speculation, which begin from the abstract of perfection, and then try and find reasons for imperfection and try and speak away the problem of duality emerging from unity or darkness emerging from light, Ishbitz and Radzin abide within a worldview that says anything that exists is clearly directly from God. The mere fact that I have a negative emotion or a negative feeling or doubt or pain or suffering is enough of a proof that it's ontologically valid in the worldview of God's Ratzon in creating the world, because otherwise it wouldn't be real. There is no place that we experience in this world anything that does not speak the abundant presence of God. And if there's pain and suffering in the world, 
then it's clear that pain and suffering also speak of the presence of God. So the mere fact that we exist for Ishbitz and Radzin is enough of a proof that it's godly and divine wisdom that wills us into existence. And if we exist and we find ourselves existing and living and being alive, then we have to find a reason for all of the brokenness and the struggle. Sartre, Lahavdil Elif of Delos, as one of the harsher expressions of existentialism, writes in Existentialism and Human Emotion that summarized to a formulation, existentialism can be described as the perception that existence precedes essence, that that which exists is here first and foremost, and then human beings come afterwards and try and find meaning in it to kind of nullify or numb the sting of being alive. So existence for Sartre and the existentialists, which is basic reality, reality as we see it, precedes essence, precedes the concept of meaning or essence that's applied to reality. And only afterwards do we come and we try and apply essential statements that seek to soften the blow or the sting of what it means to live in this world. On a certain level, a person can say that for Ishbitz and Radzin, for the tzaddikim that emerge out of this base medrash, existence is synonymous with essence, that the mere fact that something exists is enough of a reason to find the spiritual value in it. That the simple truth that an emotion exists or doubt exists or pain exists, that's enough of a proof that there's a value or a validity to be found or a spiritual value to be found in these typically negative emotions. Because had there not been a purpose for it, it wouldn't have been created. This is something that's going to become abundantly clear when we discuss the concept of Bechira and Yediya in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin. And the Sodi Sharm continues and he says, And my grandfather said that, why didn't they write Tovlo Adam and La Noach? Why didn't they write that it would have been better, but rather that it's easier? It's clearly better for a person to have been created Clearly, the fact that we exist within our bodies, the fact that we exist within the darkness of this world, is enough of a reason to prove to us that it's better. Because it's abundantly clear, ontologically, spiritually, divinely, that at the end of the day, good will emerge out of being alive. There is a goodness, there is a kernel of good that survives within even the deepest, darkest pits of darkness. Another theme that we're going to see explicitly throughout the gamut of the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin, that no matter how removed something seems, no matter how fallen and broken something seems, both in our internal experiences, as well as in the collective experience of the historical process, as explicated in biblical personalities of Yehuda and Yosef throughout, up to and including our own personalities in 2019, that there is a positive light that will emerge from it. That God had a reason for sending us down into this darkness. And that the darkening that we experience, the pain and the suffering, is all for the sake of allowing for a greater light to emerge. This is the general rule that colors the entire world of Ishbitz and Radzin. That there is nothing that is vacant from the light of God following the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, that the symptom is Lav Kipshuto, that everything, every part, every whole, every small act, every large act is representative of an aspect of the divine will that emerges into existence. At every moment, there is nothing that is devoid of the light of God. And therefore, every experience that we have, in spite of the suffering, and not only in spite of the suffering, but because of the suffering and the difficulty, is going to be shown to reveal a deeper level of God that was hitherto unrevealed prior to this symptom or this concealment of godliness. Because in the end of the day, if it was the desire of the divine will of God to put the soul of an individual into a body, obviously it's a great improvement for the soul to be alive in this world. Because it's abundantly clear that from the divine perspective, everything is going to finish off with goodness. 
because it's not our own will that we're looking at, but rather it's the will of he who sent us into this worldliness. All of our anxiety and our fear and our pain and our assumptions that the world is overwhelming and difficult and painful and darker than it is light, all of that emerges out of the subjective anxiety, mitzad ha'adam, who's terrified to enter into a space of lack of clarity, of doubt, because we're afraid we're going to lose out. And therefore, the statement of Chazal is very clear, it would have been easier not to be born. Yes, it would have been easier because the process of living in this world is difficult at times. And the process of revealing the light of godliness in this world underneath the darkness is impossible sometimes. And the ability to say yes to the world when everything in the world says no is sometimes a task that is so gargantuan that a person feels that they can't do it. But at the end of the day, what the Ishbitzer and Radziner Tzadikim are telling us is that at the end of the day, it's worth it. Because previous to our descent into this world, we were in a purified state. Like it's written, that my soul prior to descending into this world was purified. We don't want to go down. We don't want to fall into this broken space. We don't want to cry out to God at every moment, reveal yourself because otherwise it's impossible for me to continue. And the Ishbitzer, the Sodi Sharm continues and he says, we don't want to fall down into this world, which is the world of the tree of doubt which we're going to discuss next week. The Ishbitzer and Sadiq and Radzinut Sadikim refer to the Eitzadas Tovarah as the Ilana Desveka, which doesn't have a source in Chazal. In Tikkun Ezoar, Tikkun Nun Zayin, there's a statement that it's Ilana de Irbuvia, a tree of combustion and combination. But this concept of Ilana Desveka, a tree of doubtfulness, a tree of living in a world where clarity is lost, that's unique to the world of Ishbitzer and Radzin. Shehu mesupak b'metziyas habayra yisparach to the point that we are doubtful as to the presence of God in this world. And therefore the soul that descends is not at ease. It's not easy for us. And we're crying out, And we're unhappy and we're uncomfortable in this world because we're fearful that we might lose out that we might not reveal the light of godliness, that we might not be capable of finding the good within the bad, and we might lose because of the hiddenness and the svekos. And this is what's referred to in the Zohar, V'zenek Rebbe Zohar Kadosh Kol Chaya Diyasve Al Kol Balta. This is the voice of the birthing mother who sits on the birthing bed. And this voice cries out. And so what we see in this statement of the Sod Yisharim is that being alive in this world is difficult, yes. But at the end of the day, the fact that we're alive is enough of a proof that we have a job to reveal the light within the darkness. And in the writings of the Sod Yisharim in his Psich Lebes Yaakov, in a remarkable sefer, an introduction to the writings of his father, which almost become a, a textual basis for what Ishbitz and Razin is coming to say, he goes on to say, in, and I'm not going to have the time to read it inside, but I highly recommend looking at the source inside, that this statement of Chazal of and this response that says, yes, it would have been easier not to be born, but it's better to be born. The Sodisharim asks a very basic question. He says, it's not clear to anybody who's alive. To those who are alive in the day-to-day -day existence of the world, it very often appears that it would have been better not to be born. Not only would it have been easier, but it would have been better. And from this psychological reality, the Sodi Sharim asks Akasha, and he says, so where is it that we find that it's better to be born? And he bases himself on statements in the Zohar and Chazal that each soul, each person who descends into this world, agrees to being born into this world. And this agreement that we make, this Tanai that Hashem makes with our souls, our particular souls, is with a full awareness, a fully aware perspective of the suffering that we're going to go through. That before we're born in the world, God, so to speak, according to the Ishbitzer Tzadikim and the Radziner Tzadikim, shows us 
explicitly all of the hester and all of the concealment and all of the hiddenness and all of the brokenness and all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the meaninglessness and all of the boredom and all of the doubt that we're going to encounter. And we agree and we say to God, so to speak, yes, I choose to be sent down here. That not only is it better for us to be born, but we're born on our own volition. That we have chosen to find ourselves in this world. We have chosen to be thrown into this world. And the Sodi Shar makes a remarkable diuk. He says the first paradigm of this descent, of something holy and supernal being thrown into concealment, is the concealment of the light of the moon. That in its original existence, the moon was as strong as the sun. The sun is representative of the presence of God. The moon is representative of the concealment of God. And God, so to speak, says to the moon, go and make yourself smaller. Go and diminuate yourself. Allow for there to be concealment in this world. Because it's specifically through the concealment that my light is going to be doubled. Like we've been speaking about in the name of Rav Kook and the Leshem and the Shirim on Addiction and the Shirim of Siros and the name of Rabbeinu Azriel of Gerona. That it's only through concealment that we can disclose and reveal a deeper level of light. And the Sodi Sharm asks, why didn't Hashem, why didn't God just minimize the light of the moon? Why did God only give a suggestion to the moon? Go and conceal yourself. And the Sodi Sharm points out in the Psich Lebes Yaakov that it's because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to say that you have to decide on your own. That when you find yourself in struggle, when you find yourself in pain and in concealment, you must be aware that you have accepted this, that any level of pain that you experience in this world, any level of concealment, you have already agreed upon because you're so deeply aware at the deepest point of your unconscious soul that it's worth it, that in spite of the fact that it's difficult, it's worth it. And that's the secret of what Ishbitz and Radzin are coming to say. And this is what the Sodi Sharm expresses explicitly in a remarkable way in the ninth teaching on Hoshana Rabbah that in spite of the difficulty, it's worth it. It's all worth it because when all is said and done, it's specifically in the falls, it's specifically in the brokenness and the concealment and the darkness and the pain that we are capable of revealing Hashem in a way that He would not have been capable of being revealed. That it's only through our difficulties, it's only through our struggle that we show that Hashem is present even in the struggle itself. Next week, Be'ezras Hashem, what we're going to analyze is the first encounter with the struggle, what the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin referred to as Ilana Desveka, of what it means to live in a world that is full of doubt, where clarity is concealed. And we're going to see that doubt is not simply the inability to clarify things, but it is of almost a higher level than clarity itself, because when serving God in doubt and concealment, we are choosing to serve God even when it doesn't serve our explicit purpose. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page, and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.